Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do hop over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And this is episode, uh, let me check, 71, sorry, sorry, we, we took a week off last week, I got mixed up. It's episode 71 for the week of August 28th. Uh, and yes, we did take a bit of hiatus last week, both Leslie and myself being on vacation. Uh, and also, it's been uh, pretty slow, I must say, uh, both in terms of trading volume on the Toronto exchanges, which has been quite slow, uh, and also in terms of news flow. We haven't seen a lot as people take uh, whatever vestiges of vacation they have at the end of August here before we move into the far busier season. It typically happens after Labor Day. So it's been a little bit of a, a slow end to August. Can't complain. It's been a great time to take a vacation. Weather's been perfect. So I hope everybody's been enjoying their summer with their family as we move towards the busy season. But that's a great segue into what we're going to be covering this week. We're going to be looking at a little bit of commodity forecasts here, uh, taking a look at some analyst notes, uh, some of the commentary out there abroad globally um, on what's happening with metals. Uh, we've seen, obviously, uh, a serious base metal surge, which has now involved nickel, uh, interestingly enough. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll also cover obviously copper and zinc, the big headliners, uh, and we'll also look at some precious metals as well as some industrial metals, including um, uranium on the energy side and uh, cobalt, interestingly enough, um, on the industrial application side. We'll talk a little bit about electronic or electric vehicles, I should say, uh, because those have been a major headliner recently. So uh, yes, this is going to be a very Matt-centric show. Uh, Leslie is off kayaking this week, uh, enjoying the last little uh, bit of summer here, uh, so she'll be back next week with her geophysics geology corner uh, but yes you get uh, all mat all the time this week so what we're going to be doing is covering a few analyst notes uh, looking at some news pieces and talking a little bit about what we might expect in terms of metals moving into the fall and so before we get started, let's uh, let's throw out where metals are trading today for a bit of context for uh, the forthcoming discussion. Uh, so gold, as noted, uh, surged past that $1,300 per ounce mark, was trading at about $1,313 per ounce at the time of recording. Uh, silver following suit, up around $17.34 per ounce. Uh, copper, as noted, is going towards that two-year high. Uh, we talked a little bit about this. We'll get into it in detail uh, a bit later. Uh, but copper's at $3.07 per pound at the time of recording. Uh, great news for copper producers and developers out there uh, who are seeing a little bit of uh, loosening in terms of uh, how tight they've had to cinch their belts over the last few years where we've seen that, uh, you know, sub $2.75 per pound copper, which is really, really squeezes margins. Uh, we've talked about that uh, at length as grades fall. Uh, they're moving more material. Costs are on the rise. Uh, it's very difficult for uh, a lot of copper producers to make any sort of marginal uh, cash flow on copper below $3. So so to see that above there, it's also, uh, as we talked, an incentive level uh, for new de copper developments as far as uh, sort of getting that critical mass necessary in terms of financing that there's enough money in the markets interested in copper to actually fund some of these large-scale development projects. So great news on the copper side. Uh, as noted, zinc continues to rally $1.39 per pound at the time of recording. We'll get into some of the fundamentals on that in a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, U.S. $46.56 per barrel. Nickel, which we had also mentioned previously, uh, has rallied. Uh, U.S. $5.27 per pound, a uh, 52-week low of $3.95 per pound. So that just sets a little bit of context in terms of how much it has rallied. 
Meanwhile, we also noted that uranium continues to struggle. U308 prices, US $19.90 per pound at the time of recording. So let's get into this a little bit here. Uh, we're going to start with zinc and copper because, well, let's put it uh, bluntly, they have been uh, stealing the show recently. Uh, we've seen that surge specifically in zinc, which is uh, up a lot, 115% from its January 2016 low of $1,440 per ton. Uh, we've seen over 1 million tons of production eliminated from the market, uh, which totals around 13 million tons in total. So, you know, that's material. Uh, Glencore, Glencore, the world's largest zinc producer, cut its zinc production by 24% in 2016, uh, a, year, a year which also saw, as we've mentioned, a closing of two major zinc mines, name, namely the Century Mine in Australia and the Lachine Mine in Ireland. Uh, furthermore, we've noted that the Chinese government recently ordered a shutdown of all the lead and zinc mines in the Hunan province's Hoian County. Uh, this is a major zinc producing region in China. Uh, this leads us to conclude that possibly uh, the China's zinc deficit could grow in the near term. So uh, sort of that bullish case for zinc continues to man uh, manifest itself. And uh, we've uh, talked to a few of the CEOs and executives working on new zinc deals on this show. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Tinker Resources and their work in Peru previously. We've talked to uh, management at Arizona Mining uh, about the Hermosa project and its near-term uh, production potential. Um, and also there's a lot of um, newer, maybe even grassroots plays uh, coming out right now in terms of zinc. I, I had the opportunity to talk to uh, management from Cisco Metals last week. Uh, and this is the Cisco vehicle that's sort of looking at the Bathurst camp in a new light. Uh, they're using 3D inversion uh, software on old geophysical data to sort of try to really nail down their targeting there. Uh, the model for the Cisco uh, story here, uh, what I gather, uh, is that they're looking at uh, sort of a multi-deposit model where they'll have sort of a central concentrator and they'll be trucking zinc. They'd like to keep it within about 25 square kilometers within Bathurst. So it's interesting. I mean, Cisco obviously serious, serially successful uh, in the gold space. Uh, so they're looking now at the zinc space and they raised about $28 million, I believe, uh, in two concurrent financings uh, a month ago uh, so they're well cashed up and having a, a chance to talk to uh, president and CEO Jeff Hussey who's also actually uh, his family's from Bathurst and he used to work for Naranda uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the potential now they have this cash for them to look at more near-term assets possibly stranded assets uh, so it's interesting to see groups like a Cisco uh, now expanding their portfolio to look at zinc specifically because it has this bull case that's really attracted this sort of attention uh, we've seen serious gains uh, among the zinc uh, explorers and potential potential developers, uh, for example, Arizona. Uh, so it's interesting to see, uh, we do expect at PDAC this year, probably an influx of zinc deals. I was having a conversation, I think it was with uh, the mercenary geologist, Mickey Fulp, and we were having some sort of over-under on how many new zinc deals we're going to see at uh, PDAC this year. So it's good. I, I can't remember how many I took. I'd have to look it up. But uh, we do have, I think there's some sort of wager going on. Uh, but anyway, so uh, yeah, that sort of covers zinc. Uh, let's move a little bit on to copper now. Um, as noted, copper has sort of bounced back uh, off that, uh, you know, 250 per pound. It was sort of stuck in uh, in, a, in a range bound uh, area between about 250 and 275 for quite a few months there, probably two quarters. Uh, it has now broken above that $3 per pound threshold, which as we noted is a really important threshold for a lot of producers and developers, uh, plus hopefully uh, we'll see some influx in exploration dollars in the copper space right now because uh, as we've talked about at length there's been a real dearth of copper exploration over this recent downturn uh, not a lot of money spent um, as we know, you know 
porphyry exploration, large scale uh, base metal deposit exploration is expensive. Uh, exploration tends to be the first thing cut when dollars are scant. So uh, we haven't seen sort of that uh, that heavy investment in copper uh, exploration that will fund the next uh, phase of deposit. So it's hopefully as we see this uh, $3 level, hopefully sustainably, uh, this might prompt more exploration on that side of the coin because, uh, you know, it, 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 one of the things we do talk about is the declining grade profile in the copper space uh, is, and a variety of things related to how costs are rising for producers. They're obviously moving more material uh, to get at this higher grade uh, grade ore. Uh, and they're also, you know, it's just a question of finding these deposits now. We're, uh, we're looking at things a lot more in depth. Block caving is obviously becoming a big technology these days in terms of uh, the future of copper mining. Uh, so it's interesting. And, and of course, we've also talked about the supply disruptions, uh, which continue. Uh, Freeport uh, in Indonesia is uh, inching closer, apparently. Uh, there's a, st uh, a rumor out there now that they may actually be giving a majority stake in Grasberg to the Indonesian government and building the in-country smelter. So we'll see how that uh, situation uh, expands. We've also seen uh, the issue with uh, tax tariffs on power in Zambia, uh, which has not yet affected First Quantum, uh, but it is uh, something to keep your eye on. So yeah, it's not too difficult to see why there's been this sort of consensus on, on a bullish copper story in the mid to longer term. How fast that sort of moved up here and how sustainable that $3 per pound level is really uh, remains sort of predicated on we've had a, a run of relatively good industrial data out of China uh, and and things related. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. It's really a global macro issue, uh, whether we can keep that $3 per pound level over, uh, you know, the near term, though uh, I, nobody particularly questions the fact we're going to see, uh, you know, a run over maybe closer up to $4 over the mid to long term. Uh, so uh, interesting times in the copper space. Uh, one of the other notes we have actually, which is, is relatively interesting, is uh, I got this from Scotia Mining and they were talking about treatment and refining charges uh, and this is always sort of interesting because it's sign of a bellwether in terms of base metal prices as they relate to concentrates. Uh, so this is, uh, as we move forward here, we'll talk a little bit about this. Uh, Scotia Mining notes a lack of consensus over the copper market balance in Q4 2017, quote unquote. Uh, th this has miners and smelters at odds with one another, uh, which could result in a stalemate during a normally critical time in the copper industry, another verbatim quote. Uh, annual contract negotiations begin in earnest after the U.S. Labor Day weekend and tend to end at LME week in October, when annual benchmark contracts are typically set. Uh, so Scotia notes that smelters reportedly remain stuck at treatment charges of $80 per pound and refinement charges of $0.08 cents per pound, while traders are trying to force the numbers down into the quote-unquote high 70s. Uh, earlier in the summer, a major smelters meeting in China resulted in a price floor a TC of $86 and an RC of $0.8.6 cents, uh, set by the Chinese smelters purchase team. Uh, while smelting capacity in China is set to a expand in the end of 2017 and into 2018 as well. Uh, the smelters note that First Quantum's Cobra Panama is expected to come on just in time to help balance the market. Uh, now, Scotia notes that uh, clean concentrate continues to fetch, fetch a premium, uh, with some market sources indicating that if a miner were to put something clean on the market right now, it's likely that traders and some smelters would give low 70s or high 60s. Uh, so that's in terms of treatment charges. Uh, so some interesting stuff there in terms of, you know, uh, indicators when we're looking at the copper market. Uh, there are some major projects, uh, most notably, obviously, uh, Cobra Panama coming online that could uh, could shake the leaves a little bit. Uh, obviously, as we talked about, those supply disruption sides could also uh, impact things moving forward.
Now, if you're looking for a couple recent interesting copper intercepts on the exploration side, I'd recommend uh, checking out Camino Minerals, which I'd referenced in the past. Uh, it's the old Silver Standard, aka Predium team. And also Regulus Resources, where uh, John Black just hit an interesting interval, uh, I'd recommend checking out as well. Uh, though, as I've been told, check out the arsenic on the Regulus one. Uh, but anyways, let's move ahead here. I wanted to talk a little bit about nickel while we were on base metals, because let's be honest, it... it it didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but nobody was really talking about nickel as a near-term bull case. But now, all of a sudden, we've seen this recent surge. Okay, so uh, we again, once again, we got a, a note from Scotia Capital here. Uh, Nickel's recent surge has reportedly been supported by both solid supply and demand fundamentals. Uh, analysts note that the Chinese steel mill margins remain healthy, uh, while high nickel stainless steel production in China continues to outpace alternatives. Uh, so this just equates to the fact that 300 uh, stainless steel production, which uh, requires high nickel, nickel content uh, is outpacing alternative forms of stainless steel production in China so obviously that requires more nickel. Uh, in addition we note the nickel plays a very key role in the most commercially produced lithium ion batteries. Uh, so here we go with uh, lithium ion batteries again we've talked about lithium at length we've talked about cobalt which we'll get into in a moment once again but uh, uh, as we note nickel also plays a key role in these lithium ion batteries. Uh, so on the supply side of nickel uh, we also note that uh, production in the Philippines fell 24% year on year to 8.64 million uh, tons in the first half of 2017, largely due to uh, Duarte's uh, suspension of mining operations following uh, government sanctions, which we've talked about also relatively at length. Uh, and some of the rhetoric uh, obviously coming out of the Philippines has been even more anti-mining recently. Uh, we continue to keep our finger on the, the pulse of that. Uh, and speaking of gr the green energy market, we'll talk about that a little bit because that's been also been a major headliner recently. Uh, we've seen the surge into lithium uh, companies as well as uh, we touched a little bit on cobalt recently uh, we talked to Anthony Maluski who was with Pala and Cobalt 27 uh, about their cobalt holding company and sort of what the upside was on the cobalt side uh, but uh, Scotia has some data that uh, does reinforce this uh, moving into green energy uh, July auto sale figures out of China indicate a 55% year on year in increase in new energy vehicle growth uh, that is up from 33% in June according to the Chinese Association of auto manufacturers uh, we're talking here the best growth rate in green energy vehicles since september 2016 um Scotia notes there's a tendency to focus on Tesla as the main indicator for electric vehicle sales, but China is on track to produce in excess of 600,000 electric vehicle units in 2017, and the giant Asian economy is targeting 2 million electric vehicles by 2020. Uh, that's versus Tesla's estimate of about 100,000 this year. So keep your eye on China in terms of EVs, as well as driving that sort of alternative energy minerals segment of the market. That includes lithium, that includes uh, cobalt, and as we just mentioned, nickel as well. Uh, so uh, we've looked at that a little bit, and obviously we've talked at length about uh, the play on lithium-ion batteries, uh, the longevity of uh, of that market based on uh, Tesla's growth profile. But as Scotia knows, more importantly, also on the institution and the policy initiatives behind electric vehicles in China. So very interesting stuff there. We've looked at that quite a bit. Uh, we had uh, our I, what would we what do we call it? I'm trying to remember our technology technology metal special. I think it was last month uh, where we touched on a lot of that uh, I sat down with uh, Anthony from Cobalt 27 we talked about that a bit at length uh, so if you want to check that out uh, you can head over to northernminer.com uh, type in Cobalt and there'll be a whack load of stuff come up same with lithium uh, we've been uh, we've been hot and heavy on that coverage for a while uh, so always good to touch base a little bit with the green energy market interesting that we're now seeing 
that surge in nickel, which uh, seems to me from uh, first blush to be largely driven by the supply side. Uh, but interesting, nonetheless, we'll keep our eye on the nickel space. Uh, and as Scotia notes, if uh, you're looking for nickel uh, exposure, the big uh, big guns in the uh, TSX listings are obviously Sherritt, Lundin, uh, and First Quantum has a little bit as well. Uh, so uh, that's where you'd go for your uh, your current nickel fix. Uh, we'll probably maybe take a little bit of look uh, back at the, uh, the junior nickel space. I think it's probably been something we haven't touched too too much recently uh, given the uh, the sort of uh, doldrums nickel has been in as we noted 52 week low of about $3.95 per pound but now for a little bit of bad news and it comes at the cost of uranium companies uh, moving on to U308 it seems there is not a lot of silver lining on the horizon when it comes to uranium spot uh, buyers reportedly continue to have firm control of the spot market uh, with end users keeping prices at the $20 per pound mark uh, actually US $19.90 per pound at the time of recording so below US $20 per pound uh, Scotia Capital summarizes the situation as follows quote utilities have no problem walking away from deals leaving a sizable group of traders and speculators holding on for another day so not a great uh, not a great nor uh, near-term uh, scenario for uranium explorers or producers uh, we've covered Cameco's struggles uh, the closures of uh, numerous uranium uh, output stations uh, re uh, the Kazakh prom news uh, it's just it hasn't been great it's sort of blood in the streets for uranium uh, but at the same time I mean we did cover next gen's aero PEA recently uh, showed some good numbers uh, but uh, even even then I mean you're going to want to see something closer to uh, above $40 per pound, closer to 50 um, I mean, uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, paints a bit of a rosier long-term picture, picture for uranium. Uh, it offered up a high and a low case for price assumptions. Um, under the high case, it predicts... Um, Nuclear capacity could rise by 42% uh, through 2030. Uh, that's from 2016 levels uh, and up by 83% to 2040 and 123% by 2050. Uh, so that would be very, very good, obviously, for the uranium industry. The low case on the uranium uh, models a drop in capacity by 12% in 2030 and 15% in 2040 before uh, a rebound to current levels by 2050. Uh, Scotia notes that the key headwind for uranium remains the existence of gas-fired power generation uh, which is quote significantly cheaper by comparison and can be switched off at will unlike nuclear and now hopping over to the gold space where uh, all eyes are on the U.S. dollar and the conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming this past weekend. Uh, gold futures did jump above the $1,300 U.S. per ounce Monday morning uh, after European Central Bank ECB President Mario Draghi failed to tame a, quote, surging euro at the Jackson Hole conference. Uh, the ECB is reportedly soon likely to scale back its asset purchase plans amid signs that the eurozone recovery is picking up steam. Uh, meanwhile, Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen also did not uh, form any monetary policy uh, comments at Jackson Hole, uh, which left the U.S. dollar at the mercy of a resilient euro. Uh, furthermore, geopolitical tensions, uh, I'm sure everyone caught these headlines, uh, are running high after North Korea fired three short-range missiles into the sea Saturday and followed it up with a missile test over Japan earlier this week. Uh, this is all coming amid U.S.-South Korea military drills. So as usual, uh, we're seeing this geopolitical uh, volatility driving gold higher. Uh, Scotia Capital's price deck now remains above the $1,250 per ounce for gold through 2018 before it does jump to uh, $1,300 per ounce in 2019. Uh, BMO Capital Markets actually just did a rather thorough review uh, of Q2 performances for gold producers uh, and labeled it one of the better quarters in recent memories. Uh, it noted that 
that 70% of the companies in its coverage space reported an earnings per share beat. Uh, the clear winners, according to BMO, were Barrick, Newmont, Rangold, and streamer Franco Nevada. Uh, BMO found that Gold Corp was the, quote, clear underperformer through Q2. Uh, investors focus on the quality of Gold Corp's EPS beat and the company's eroding balance sheet. Uh, aside from Franco Nevada in the royalty streaming space, Sandstorm also outperformed the back of its Q2 results, uh, whereas Wheat and Precious Metals shares set, shed about 5% on uh, rising concerns regarding the company's stream at Primero Mining San Dimas Mine in Mexico. Uh, if you want uh, some more in-depth coverage on the Primero situation at San Dimas, head over to northernminer.com. I just uh, hopped on their second quarter conference call uh, with interim CEO and President Joseph Conway, uh, as well as the rest of the management team, got the lowdown uh, on what's going on with uh, San Dimas, uh, still ongoing problems with the labor union down there, uh, most recently with a bonus that was scheduled to be paid in July, which caused another disruption uh which is just absolutely slaughtering their uh their annual guidance figures right now um so uh interesting stuff there as well as primero obviously has a significant balance sheet concern with about uh 75 million in uh in a credit facility that's uh coming up uh i think it's the fourth quarter so uh but if you do want all the uh the uh logistics on the primero situation uh head over to northernminer.com there's quite a lengthy article there uh, which will also be in our Mexico special coming out this week. Uh, and while on the subject, please do consider subscribing. Uh, head on over to northernminer.com, hit that subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner, and you'll see our different editions that you can subscribe for. Just print, 114 a year. Digital, 114 a year. But both, executive edition, $289 per year. That's per year, $289. Uh, that gets you bi-weekly newspaper delivery, complete web access, plus company and property profiles you can set up personal alerts uh and our news archives do date back to 1986 so please do consider that uh always helps us out um and while we are on the subject of gold actually i wanted to uh quickly congratulate victoria gold um on breaking ground at uh cons for construction at their e eagle gold project in the yukon so uh, that's moving ahead uh, i know president and ceo john mcconnell and his team quite well uh they have played that well been very patient over the downturn and now look to be moving forward with construction uh at dublin gold so uh, you might be looking right there at the next gold producer in the Yukon. So congratulations to John and team. I uh, just wanted to mention that uh, there's some cool pictures. They had a groundbreaking ceremony up there recently. Uh, so hop on over to the Twitter and you can see uh, Victoria's groundbreaking as they move ahead with construction. And finally, just to wrap up the show today, I do have a very exciting announcement from the Northern Miner. Um, we've come out right now. Uh, this has actually just happened, I think, this week. Uh, the agenda for our Progressive Mine Forum in Toronto has been released. Uh, now, this uh, this event takes place on October 23rd, uh, as mentioned, uh, in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we have uh, already a great slate of speakers and roundtable participants for this event, uh, including Steve Letwin, the CEO of I Am Gold, uh, Ira Thomas, who is known for many things, most recently CEO of Kamenak, but also sits on a number of boards and has been an active member of the Canadian mining community for a very long time. Uh, we have Michelle Ash, Chief Innovation Officer at Barrick, uh, Andrew Cheadle, Executive Director of the PDAC, uh, among many other great speakers, uh, and the lineup continues to grow. So that's happening on October 23rd. Uh, we continue to look for um, anyone who's interested in participating uh, on either the sponsorship side or the uh, roundtable side, uh, if you are with a mining company. Uh, so this is, event is really focused 
focus on innovation. And we're going to talk um, about innovation at different stages of exploration and development. Uh, we have roundtables on the exploration side, development, mine operations, and closure. So we're going to be looking um, at sort of the life cycle of mines um, and what sort of innovative um, ideas and technologies are impacting the industry today. So it's going to be a really, um, I think, I don't want to use the term innovative. We've used it so much, but it is going to be a very, uh, you know, thought-provoking event where we're going to talk about uh, where the industry's headed. We're going to talk about social license, CSR. Uh, we're going to talk about environmental considerations. And also, let's not forget, aside from that, we're going to talk about margins and we're going to talk about profitability because that's one of the other major things we want to focus on um, and how innovations can help miners produce metal better. Uh, so it's going to be a great event. Again, that's happening on October 23rd, uh, this coming October. Uh, so if you're interested in that, head over to our webpage uh, under events. You can look at the Progressive Mind Forum. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities to participate or sponsor. Uh, so please do consider that. It's going to be really awesome. I believe Leslie and myself are heading out there uh, to Toronto for the event. Uh, we'll each be table. Um, sorry, moderating some roundtables. Uh, Leslie will be doing the exploration roundtable, uh, focusing on uh, what's coming down the pike in terms of uh, new exploration technologies and techniques. Uh, I will be moderating the mine operations panel. So I will be talking with some of the big COOs, uh, some of the uh, chief innovation people working on the mines, both open pit and underground. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, what's coming up uh, in terms of you know processing metallurgy, but also material movement, uh, vehicle automation, a lot of really cool stuff. So we're going to be talking about, you know, really awesome. I'm excited there's going to be robots probably I'm, we're going to be talking about a bit about robots and I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, but that's going to be a really cool event uh, so do look us up on that uh, but yeah that pretty much wraps up the show for the week uh, as mentioned we'll be back with our regular scheduled programming next week uh, Leslie should be back with the uh, in studio with the geology corner um, but yeah uh, how hope everyone has a great end to their summer thanks again for listening to the Northern Miner podcast this has been Matthew Keeble and I'll talk to you next week mm-hmm.